This episode is brought to you by the Watershape Society. On this week's podcast, we discuss areas where permits, codes, and in some cases, inspections are not required. SWD Master Paulo Benedetti and Master Rick Chafee discuss how to adjust to those circumstances and what are your obligations when standards aren't enforced. Enjoy this in-depth episode of Ask the Masters. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. Good afternoon. We are here with Ask the Masters. I am Rick Chafee with Red Rock Pools, and I'm here with Paulo Benedetti from Aquatic Technology. We're going to have a little chat and, and discussion today about kind of working outside of typical municipality control. So there's plenty of areas in the country where we still don't really have a licensing board or a permitting requirements, or if they do, they're extremely lax. And so part of what we want to talk about today is what uh, what your obligations and responsibilities are, even though you might be working in an environment when nobody's kind of watching over your shoulders. So talk me through that, Paula. What, uh, what kind of things are we dealing with in, in locations like this? Well, uh, even if there aren't local agencies that are going to require uh, permits and approvals, there, you still have a minimum obligation to the client to perform at some minimum acceptable standard. And those standards, even though they're not enforced by some regulatory agency, um, those codes are out there. And you know, should a project, God forbid, go sideways, you're gonna, somebody's gonna bring those books in and lay all those standards out and say, you know, this wasn't done, this wasn't done, this wasn't done, this wasn't done. So from a personal liability standpoint, it's foolish to be out there just building things willy-nilly without any engineering or soils reports or um, even a third-party third party inspection. But, you know, we, we do have those minimum standards. And so across the country, we have um, every state has adopted some version or some rendition of the International Building Code and the International Residential Code, which then kind of spin off and adopt the mechanical codes and the fuel gas codes and the electrical codes. So there, there is a whole matrix out there of building blocks that builders can follow to ensure that they're building compliant projects. Well, I think you find out too, I find plenty of locations where there is a municipality, but they're so lax or so lenient on swimming pools um, that still as the contractor you have, regardless of whether they're going to require you to do a few things, you still have a, an obligation to fulfill your, uh, your contract. It doesn't have to be enforced by the city. And I would, I would actually argue that many times the city is the least informed about what we're doing in the swimming pool world in many cities. They don't, they don't have, in my markets that I work in, I, I notice we do some work in LA and, and I realize that in LA, the, the inspections and, and municipalities are considerably stronger in, in who's out there inspecting. But in Texas and Arizona, where we do some of our work, the municipalities are very loose when it comes to swimming pool and the inspectors aren't very thorough. Um, and so it's super, uh, very easy not to follow rules and not be held to any standards. And so part of part of our Genesis group and, and part of what we've hope we make people sign off on to be a, be a member of the Society of Watershape Designers is holding yourself to those standards regardless of who's maybe going to watch you. And that's really the true sense of integrity, right? If what do you what do you do when nobody's paying attention? Exactly. And so when you're when you're out in those uh, Netherlands, uh, you have to kind of hold yourself to those those minimum standards. So there, there are things in the building codes. We're going to do a future podcast on uh, on expert witness work and how those cases kind of develop and how they happen. But usually, it's because there's some 
minor flaw in the project that an owner sees, usually something cosmetic, that they see or something that's not working properly. The builder blows off the client and then the client just gets fed up, frustrated, hires somebody to come in and evaluate the project. And of course, what happens when we come in and look at a project? Right. We're not just looking at that one little topic. We're now, everything's on the table. Absolutely. And so the entire project gets evaluated. Yeah, and I see exactly to that point. Anytime we're brought in, whether expert witness work or even just simple repair work on an older pool even, we, we start looking deeper. You know, like you said, there's a simple cosmetic issue that might have been able to be handled, and maybe it's an unreasonable client, but at the same time, it was a simple cosmetic repair. And, and if you haven't followed all the rest of the requirements, it's actually pretty easy for a, for a relatively experienced expert to come in and, and find you know dozens or more flaws with a with a construction project on hydraulic sizing, you know drain systems, suction debris devices, bonding, electrical, um, you know just on and on and on setting materials and tile work like you can just keep going with issues that got done and you can find those quickly undersized surge basins, um, and then there's just code issues galore that are that are even maybe fairly. Uh, minimal that people don't really even follow or know about, but I mean, you brought one up the other day that we weren't paying that much attention to is using steel plates that we sand a skimmer with. They're not getting bonded. The whole state of Arizona uses those on a regular basis day in, day out. Not only are they aluminum, which is not good to put next to concrete, they're also not being bonded. Those two items alone already have put you, well, now that there's two items I can dig into you on, now you're replacing the deck. Let's start, how, how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go? Right. And, and regardless of whether you want to follow those codes, even if they're not being enforced, by law, you're required to follow those codes, no? That's correct. So, so you have an obligation as, as a contractor. We're not, we're not held to just those codes that apply to swimming pools. We're, there's a lot of other codes that apply to swimming pools other than the APSP ANSI codes or the sections of the IRC or IBC that apply specifically to swimming pools. We've got issues. There's a whole section of shock about shockcrete. There's a whole section about steel reinforcing. There's this whole sections on concrete. There's sections on electrical. You know, they, they hold us to the entire National Electric Code, not just Section 680 that applies to pools. Right. There's other sections that apply to breaker sizing and size of service entrance conductors and service disconnects and housekeeping pads and clearances in front of panels. So there's all these other things that that contractors need to be aware of. And you know, when, I, when I start talking to some pool contractors that maybe I've been brought in on an expert witness case and you know, maybe after the case settles after mediation or something and I talk to them and said, you, know, you really need to invest in a, in a set of these codes. Or a lot of them are online. Uh, right. ICC has a whole website that you can go through and, and read all these codes. It's, uh, you'll find there's a lot of things in there that apply to what we do that are, that are ignored. Right. And I think you, the, the obscure ones you'll actually learn by following our podcasts or, or, or watching people on the internet and, and, and really reaching out to learn the education side. But I think what's also important is when you get in those locations that aren't being enforced, the sub-trades are going are gonna to really fight against you when you're trying to enforce these, what they're going to consider really obscure requirements, um, whether it's bonding or, or the way you're doing shotcrete or how you're tying your steel or the clearances to soil. And, and so you've, you've got to start to become your own educator of your own trades because you're, you're going to be in an environment where they're so used to not having to follow the rules. And certainly, does it work in most in situations and does it, do they have a lot of problems in those areas? Not necessarily. It doesn't mean you aren't building a quality pool, but there's some real, real, real simple things you need to make sure you're doing right. Not necessarily a lot of cost impact to them but just simple basic things you need to understand that you should follow all the time and you're gonna to have to work to educate your trades 
to make sure they understand and they're willing to follow the same rules. I think part of this also comes back to the planning, the planning phase and how you, you plan for your projects. If you have written specifications and you have a written scope of work for your subcontractors as to what's expected of them and what it is that they're going to be doing, then there really is no pushback. It's when you get them out on the job and they're used to doing things a certain way and you say, oh, I need a, that's a VFD pump. I need a service disconnect on that. That they go, wait a minute, I've never done it. I don't do it for anybody else. I said, yeah, but that's over here in this section of the code. Right. Where if he knew that up front, he could plan, not only plan for it, but he could also put it in his pricing schedule. And so right. it's, there's no surprises along the way. So basically the rules we're talking about is we need to be able to follow best practices at all times. Right. Regardless of whether we're being watched, regardless of whether somebody's enforcing those rules. Um, and mostly out of a respect to the entire community of pool builders, but more importantly, out of respect to the, to the client, right? We're going to need to protect the client's investment and, and not, not undercut what he expects to buy. Well, not only that, it's also self-preservation. Sure. I mean, all it takes is one of these projects to go south and end up in a lawsuit, end up in litigation where somebody starts doing some destructive testing. And if it gets to the point where it hits a certain dollar value as a percentage of the repair costs, the project gets torn out and it gets start over. Something like that, if you, if you think back about your own business and or if our listeners kind of self-evaluate themselves, think about the last project you built or the last expensive project you built. What would it cost you to tear that out and rebuild it all over again? Could you afford to absorb that cost? Right. I can tell you, a lot of builders probably can. Correct. Probably would go bankrupt. Uh, in the meantime, the client's probably going to pursue any assets that you have. Right. So Absolutely. one of the things that, uh, you know, even... Even uh, entry-level pool builders, there's there's still a basic basic tenets they need to follow. Oh, for sure. And and I mean, obviously, Genesis we advocate soils reports and site-specific engineering, but that doesn't mean that they have to go hire uh, a structural engineer for every job. So they can always partner with a structural engineer who maybe can give them a specific plan set for the soil conditions that occur in their area, and maybe not even necessarily commission a soils report prior to the project, but at least once the pool is dug, having that soils expert come out and inspect the open excavation, right. it's called bottom inspection, come out and look at the open excavation, look at, this, look at the soil along the shell and make sure that the engineering that's being used is adequate for those conditions that exist on that site. And for, for those few hundred dollars, that, that what, it, what we're doing here is we're shifting liability. Yep. We're pushing the, that we're shifting that liability to the structural engineer and to the soils engineer because they've said what you're planning on doing here is going to be sufficient. It's it's when you get in these kind of outer reaches where there is no permitting, there is no inspection by the local um, governing agency that um, builders just kind of go off and do their own thing. They're doing their own steel schedules. They're not having anybody look at the soils. And then something happens along the way, and we start deconstructing the project, and yeah, it makes happen. it makes it very difficult. I think I think it's very simple to just continue to hold yourself at the higher standard and and start following the rules that you know you should be following on every project, and and all of it's mostly about shifting risk, right? If you hire a structural engineer, you've shifted the risk on the structure. If you hire a soils engineer, you've kind of shifted that risk. When you don't do that, first everybody's like, well, I can't afford that. Well. You shouldn't be paying for it. It should be part of the cost structure of the project, and the client should be paying for that. So the, if they don't want to pay for that, I guarantee if you walk them through the fact that, look, we're going to spend $300 to bring Joe out here and evaluate your soils and verify that it will match the engineering we plan on using, 
that's pretty sh cheap insurance to having a failure on your project over time. And if they understand that, they'll write the check for $300 and pay you for it, and you'll get your markup. And what you end up doing is making a little bit more money, and now you have even less risk to manage down the road. And all the levels of the project can go that way. And most, most of people are averse to doing that, thinking they're going to spend all this extra money because the you know pool builder B, he doesn't ever do that stuff, and I can't be competitive with him. I would tell you that that's the best sales tool in the house is to go and say, you're going to spend an extra $2,000 on your little pool if you use me, because we're going to do these extra things that are going to protect your investment long term. And I, I, I challenge someone to tell me they can't sell that, right? If you just walk in and try to sell a pool for $4,000 more and can't explain what's going on for $4,000 more, you might not sell it. Um, and as you move up the ladder, we're talking 50000 100000 right? You're talking about even on, high end, even on the high-end jobs, I've had clients push back on, why are we paying this deputy inspector or this guy to stand here and babysit the Shot Creek crew? Why are we paying a testing lab to test the, the concrete breaks and the, the test cylinders? And I say, well, what this is, this is a third-party inspection. It's, it's actually guaranteeing you that I'm doing my job right, right and that my vendors and suppliers are providing the right materials. So whether they're looking at mill tags from the, the, the steel bundle, whether they're, they're, whether the project even specifies they go back and test the steel. Um, but what they're doing is they're guaranteeing that your investment for whatever value that they're keeping me honest. Absolutely. And I said, and that's, if there's nobody, if it's just a city inspector or even... Talk about a community where they have city inspectors. If you think about an inspector that comes out and looks at a project, the guy's a generalist. He's like a, like a doctor who's a general practitioner. He's expected to know a little about a lot, but not a lot about a very specific sure. field. So he might have just got off a ladder, if he got on the ladder, to look at roof nailing. And he might have, before that, been inside looking at the, the you know sheetrock nailing. Right. And so... And now he's out looking at a pool, looking at bonding. He might have no idea what he's even looking at. So you can't really rely on a city inspector to even know what they're looking at, let alone know the codes. Right. And not to, not to level they should. And like you said, they're, they're looking at so many different facets. They rarely are specialized in what we do. Um, and, and, they, and they also have their own quirks, right? He might have been an old electrician, so he's going to be really technical on the electrical side. But when he gets to soils and plumbing and hydraulics and structural steel... Yeah, he just kind of shines that on. It's there. It looks like it's 12 inches on center. And, oh, there's a copper wire that's going around, so it seems to be bonded. And so you're absolutely right. We, we, the, the client assumes they can rely on him for the full inspection process, but you, they don't usually have enough expertise in what they're doing. And so it's, it's pretty inexpensive on them to pay for that insurance. They're obviously hiring you to make sure you're doing your job, but to bring a third party in to make sure that you and your trades not only know how to do your job, you've hired an expert that's even more experienced in that aspect of this project so they can really make sure they see conditions that we might not have caught either. You know, and it doesn't always necessarily mean that they hire somebody to come out and do an actual site visit. They can actually take pictures of different things and, and mail it to one of the masters or somebody who does consulting work and say, hey, we're getting ready to shoot this pool. What do you think of the plumbing installation that we did? What yep. do you think of this and that? What do you think of our, our steel schedule? Here's my, my engineering. First of all, if they have a structural engineer on the project, the structural engineer should be reviewing the steel installation. Very often they do, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's easier to just take pictures and send it back to the, to the structural engineer record and say, did I comply with your plans, than it is to bring in a third party and have them you know, write a report as to steel placement. Right. 
but it, but it's funny in the in other parts of construction we're a general contractor too we when we do large structural steel element buildings and stuff they always require us to pay a, a, the original engineer to come out and verify the bolts the anchors the, all the structure is where it was supposed to be because obviously too when we do big metal buildings we've got to modify a few things here and there and these bolts don't line up we either open the holes up so now they've got to specify our larger washer but we were required to do that the pool world kind of slips on by and and doesn't always seem to be caught with that information where, and same thing with the city inspectors. They don't recognize that they're supposed to see a third-party inspection, say maybe. So, um, again, hold yourself to a better standard. It, you're going to learn from the process every time. If you pay a deputy inspector to come out and watch what's going on, you're learning something in the process. You're going to be better the next time, and so are your crews. Um, and then the client gets a much better project. And then if there is issues down the road, we also have another expert we can rely upon to say, hey, what might have happened? Oh, I was there. I watched that. It certainly can't be this problem. We know that. Um, it's a really good cheap insurance policy, and it, and it also is going to raise the bar on who you are as a contractor to your clients, and I think it's a very easy sell um, to a client to spend the money. that You've got to argue once in a while, even high-end clients, why we're doing it, but once if you explain it properly, like, oh, okay, you're right, that's, what, $500? You're right, why wouldn't I spend $500 on building a $300,000 structure here? That's a cheap $500 insurance. But, but you insurance. can show them it's in the building code. So oftentimes, yep. if you know where to go look, you can say, well, look, it says right here, I have to have a deputy inspector present for this, 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 and this, this, all these different phases. And we need to have, and it needs to be submitted to the city. This needs to be done. They look at it and go, you know, I can't, it, it is what it is. Yeah, it's, I can't get, I can't like, work around it. Yeah. Just because Joe doesn't do it on his jobs doesn't mean he's not supposed to. Right. Right. So. Again, it, it's your own responsibility. You have a, a, an obligation to your clients, and you and you have an obligation to your family and the, and your future to protect yourself through this process. And we're we're at a high risk construction process. We're dealing with vessels full of water, hydraulics, electrical, plumbing, life safety issues with swimming. Right. Um, you know, it's not. It, it's it's an easy easy type of work to get involved in without very much experience. But it's very important to get that experience put together, um, and and provide the client what they need to see. Because if we don't do that, it's really not. A benefit to them and it's very it could definitely end end your future badly if you don't have yourself protected in the process so so moving forward the the best way that that students can obviously get educated is obviously through genesis programs but they also getting buying the codes and actually reading them sitting down making them part of your reading material becoming familiar with with the codes subscribing to the updates um, i have codes in my shop on a shelf that go back you know, decades, I never throw them out because I never know when I'm going to be going back to referring to something that might have been in effect 20 years ago. But making yourself familiar with what the basic requirements are in the residential code and in the building code, what applies to residential construction, what applies to commercial construction. And then those sections that obviously focusing on those sections that don't apply to swimming pools. Right. Well, I think you'll find that that's going to how you that's how you up your game and create yourself as a and as, as separate yourself from the rest of the industry as you start becoming more and more an expert. Just when people talk to you, we we sell our pools to clients on on a rare occasion. We don't do a lot of bidding type projects, but I spend the first half an hour educating the client, and I will almost guarantee that that that, that thirty minute education process they get from me about how we build or why we do a few of the things we do and how their pool might function, they might have a higher education than the sales guy that just left you know, a week before me with a project. And, and immediately they've, they've, they've got a comfort level with who they're working with and they're already starting to separate the idea that the cost of this pool is important. It's more important on, wow, I didn't think it was so complicated. I didn't even think about that. Oh, 
he under, he understands the efficiency of a, of a heat pump versus a gas heater. The other guy just wanted to sell me two gas heaters so that, you know, they start recognizing that we're here to protect them. And, and I think it really starts to help you separate yourself in the, in the industry. But it, it, you just got to get involved. You know, you, you can read the codes, probably the most boring thing in the world, but you can also throw one of these podcasts on your, on your Bluetooth while you're driving down to the next job site and listen to this boring podcast of us talking about codes. Get involved. You're going to learn two or three things every time you listen to one of those. If you watch Ask the Master's Facebook page, there's, there's your expert witness page on, on Facebook. You start going through those pages, just scrolling through them, you learn all these little snippets of information and you go, oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't even think about that code. Is that, how does that affect me? i got to start working differently. It'll make you a much stronger contractor over time. All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining me on Ask the Master's. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ask the Masters podcast, and don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share 